Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This is a special presentation of CNN. This podcast is brought to you by Realty Shares. This company is disrupting the real estate finance industry with their crowdfunding platform. Realty Shares makes it super simple to diversify your portfolio by investing in real estate from your computer in minutes with as little as $5,000. All of the real estate deals are sourced and vetted by experienced investment professionals. They've crowdfunded over 1,600 properties across the United States. You can even invest in deals right in your own neighborhood. For this month only, if you sign up at RealtyShares.com slash CNN, then link a bank account. RealtyShares will transfer $50 into your linked bank account. Visit RealtyShares.com slash CNN to browse investment opportunities today. That's RealtyShares.com slash CNN. All right, Chris, thank you very much. Our breaking news tonight, you just heard from Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Martin O'Malley. They made their closing arguments at CNN's Democratic Town Hall in Des Moines. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Don Lemon. Thank you so much for joining us. We're just one week away, as Chris said, from the first votes in the nation at the Iowa caucuses. And the race for the Democratic nomination is up for grabs right now. So let's discuss. We heard some great things from all three of the candidates. So joining me now to talk about is Peter Beinert, also Van Jones, Gloria Borger, Michael Smirkanish, Donna Brazil, and Bakari Sellers. I will not be getting a word in edgewise with all of you. I realize that. It was very interesting. I, all of them showed up. Hillary Clinton showed up. She showed up. How did, how did they do, Gloria? These were candidates who have been out on the campaign trail. I don't think they would have been as good in, in this kind of a venue six months ago. Six weeks ago. Six <laughs> weeks ago, right. right. Hillary, they, they all had to stand up because mm-hmm. they had so much energy. They couldn't kind of talk sitting down. Right. Hillary Clinton came to play. Bernie Sanders came to play. You had a 74-year-old revolutionary there on stage taking it right to Hillary Clinton, not in a personal way, but saying, these are the areas I disagree with you on. This is why I would be a better leader, because I was against the war in Iraq before you were. I was against those trade deals before you were. I was for climate change before you, you know, and on Mm -hmm. and on. And then, you, you know, you saw Hillary Clinton give it right back and basically say without again, without criticizing Bernie Sanders personally, but saying, you know what, I can govern. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I, I've been under attack and I keep coming back and I know how to get. Things that was done. her first answer to the question out of the gate to, to the young person. She goes, when were you born? 93 yeah, or whatever. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure if you were around. You were champing at the bit. What do you want to say, Van? Go well, ahead. Well, well, first of all, this, this was, all three of them were at their very best. This is the best I've seen yes. all three of them. Um, Hillary Clinton demonstrated that she is probably the best prepared person to be commander in chief, maybe in the history of the country. But Bernie Sanders, if you are curious, how can this weird guy <laughs> be surging? You saw tonight why. This guy has, has taken on the mantle of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, and he's done it unapologetically. He's done it with humor and warmth. And you know, usually he's on stage. You see him yelling and yelling and whatever. You can see now the charm. 
and you can see now why he's rising. And I think he's done the Democrats a favor. He has done what Republicans have done for a long time, moving the needle to the right. He has made it very, very safe to be a strong liberal because he is an unapologetic progressive. All right, I'm going to stick with this side of the room. And you, what do you think? What, any standout moments for you? What did you make of it, Peter? I thought they were both very good. You know, it was a little bit like a slam dunk contest. There was no opponent on the field, right? I mean, you had the space to yourself. So they were, they were both, they were both. Good. What was striking, though, was the content. Bernie Sanders, almost no foreign policy. Hillary Clinton dominated by foreign policy. You, one of the reasons they could both be so strong is they were basically playing in their own orbits, right. and you see that their comfort level, he's much more comfortable dealing with questions of economics and class. And social she issues, and she is, is Right, she is much more comfortable dealing with the minutia of foreign policy. It's a yeah. big difference. Yeah, Let, I'll start with you, Bakari. Well, side. I was just amazed by how much energy was on the stage. We yes. hear about this. We hear about an energy deficit in the Democratic Party, and what we saw tonight was that it was not there. I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter, and she came out tonight, and I think she knocked it completely out of the park. But I also recognize that Bernie Sanders did a hell of a job. He really did a great job in, in coalescing his supporters. That is why they support Bernie Sanders. You saw it there. He taught he, every now and then, or not every now and then, every question, he pivoted back to the billionaire class, the income inequality. <laughs> he is the most on-message candidate you that thought, I have ever seen. You thought Martin O'Malley was going to show up tonight. Did he show up? He was present. Martin O'Malley was present. The difficulty that yeah. Martin O'Malley is having yeah. is that he's running against Bernie Sanders, who is in his own element, who has these large crowds, who's feeding off this energy. And then he's running against who's probably going to be the 45th president of the United States, Hillary Clinton, who's strong on so many issues, who literally dominated foreign policy. And you could see on that stage, it was as if she was ready to be president today. Right. And I think that in a world where many people are afraid, in a country where many people have this fear. Hillary Clinton spoke directly to them tonight. Ms. Brazil. Well, first of all, I'm neutral, so let me just start with that. But more importantly, I was proud to be a Democrat tonight. Yeah, I was exactly. proud Amen. to hear from three distinguished candidates who understand the issues, understand what keeps Americans up at night, and they were able to answer those questions. I think we should remember that there's a large percentage of voters who are still uncommitted. And tonight, this town hall was a was was there for voters to sort of help make up their mind, clear up any misunderstanding. So I thought it was a good forum, a, a, a great response from the candidates. And I think we're going to have one, excuse my language, one hell of a week in politics. It is going <laughs> That's nothing on this show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it's 11-10 right. on the East Coast. You know, I'm still that little Catholic girl. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, was, it was great to hear the candidates yeah. and, and stand up and address some questions from undecided voters. It was a good night for Democrats and a good night for the country. Mr. Smirconis, you have the stage. I listened with an open mind to Bernie Sanders giving his definition of democratic socialism. And what I was trying to discern is whether it's saleable to the country yeah. at large. I doubt that it is. I listened to him and I thought he was effective. I thought he was on top of his game, but I still look at him and I wonder, is this the George McGovern of 2016? Should he ever win the nomination? Yeah. He'd be better served if he used the word capitalism and if he used the word entrepreneurship in the midst of giving his explanation so as to say, hey, I want people to make money. It's cool to make money in this country, but the disparity has grown much too large. Did he really uh, get people to understand? Did he distinguish himself when, he, when they asked, how are you going to pay for this? And he said, well, I'm going to raise, raise taxes. taxes. I'm not sure if that's going to play in that room. So we're going to look at that moment when we come right back and, and discuss that and many more moments as we continue on here. So stay with us, everyone. When we come right back, more from, the, from Iowa and from the man who uh, moderated tonight's debate, and that's our very own Chris Cuomo. On the other side of this break,
We're back now with our post coverage of the town hall. Anderson Cooper was in Des Moines for this uh, in the hall tonight. He is with our very own Chris Cuomo, who was a moderator. I really like this format. As I like the debates, but I like this format better than the debates, guys. What did you think? Did you like it? I mean, I think it certainly uh, allowed each of the candidates to, to make an impassioned uh, case for why they should be the, uh, the Democratic nominee. I mean, you know, when you're doing this, Chris, it's often hard to get a sense of how it's going. How did you think mm -hmm. it went? Uh, I felt that the questions were good from the voters. Uh, you're right. I, especially in something like this, I really wasn't focused too much right. about myself because I wasn't really that relevant. It's not like when you're moderating a debate and you really have to be the conductor of what's going on here. Here, it was just not getting in the way and then trying to push back when necessary. But I think it's different when a candidate is talking to you or me than when they're talking to a voter. Mm. Uh, because if they don't, they, they can not regard us the same way. They can kind of blow off the premise of a question if they want. And it's somewhat acceptable. You can't do that with a voter. And you get to measure a candidate, I think, the voters, in a way that they don't in other four. And I think that this was a smart way to do you it. You also got a sense that these candidates, I mean, look, Iowa is retail politics. Iowa is mm -hmm. all about small meetings like this. And they have been doing these town halls uh, they are clearly practiced at it, um, but I was surprised at the energy of each of them. I mean, considering they've probably been out on the campaign trail now probably all day long. Bernie Sanders even referenced that about you'd be even more tired if you'd been keeping up with him all day yeah. long. But, I mean, they each made very impassioned pleas that I think played very well to certainly this young audience. You know, where uh, the senator and I grew up, they call it the hunger. They've got the hunger right now because they're so close to the caucus. So they're really on. You know, politicians do that. Uh, candidates do that when they're getting close. You know, what I think, what will be the plus minus on this? The plus is you got good exposure for the voters, direct questions from them. What's the minus? Well, you didn't you didn't go at them the way you usually do in a debate. This was not as much of an accountability session. But I think that's by design. I mean, you know, certainly we have no problems asking hard questions to candidates. But this was their chance to make their last pitch, you know, which is obviously going to be largely positive because it's coming right. from them in response to voters' questions. So I think if you take it for what it is, they did a good job. Uh, Bernie Sanders clearly tried to uh, paint the difference between him and Senator Clinton to try to do it in a way that was respectful, that didn't seem like an attack, but 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 make those differences clear, as did Hillary Clinton. Uh, absolutely, as did Secretary right. Clinton. I mean, she's not consistently talking about experience and being up for the whole job by coincidence. She's saying that uh, to frame Bernie Sanders as somewhat of a one-trick pony. Don, it was really inter interesting. You know, it often plays differently on television than it does in the room, but certainly in this room, the audience was wrapped. The applause very strong for each of these candidates, uh, particularly Martin O'Malley, uh, a very strong response from a lot of people in this room. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how kind of voters watching on television, uh, how they viewed it uh, compared to the people in this room, Don. Anderson, I have a question for you. There were, I, I was very interested in the questions from young people, uh, especially because they asked to all the candidates, but the one who asked Hillary Clinton, you know, I don't see the enthusiasm for you as I see for Bernie Sanders. Was the room filled with a lot of young people? There are, there are a lot of young people here. Clearly, I think a, a lot of students, I mean, I don't know how it was determined who got to be in the room, but it's clearly a lot of students from the university. A lot here. of them. Yeah, yeah without a, a doubt. And there's, I mean, definitely you look around, uh, I'm probably one of the few gray-haired people around. So uh, <laughs> it's definitely a, a very, very young audience, Don. I've got Donna Brazil in here to make up on this end for gray hair. So uh, we got, we got <laughs> okay, some gray hair It's all mine. She was better than I do, believe me. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you very much. Nice job for both of you uh, in Iowa. Up next. Next, more from our Iowa Town Hall. You heard the candidates make their final arguments. 
Did you change your mind about any of them, about anything? We'll discuss when we come back. Democratic candidates taking their battle down to the wire with the Iowa caucus is now just one week away. Back with me now is Peter Beinert, Van Jones, Gloria Borger, Michael Smirconish, Donna Brazil, Bakari Sellers. Oh, I said we had the gray hair contingent on this side and the people with no hair. We got everything covered. And that's a compliment, Donna. That's no shade, as someone said on social media. You know, Michael Smirconish mentioned this uh, just a short time ago, talking about um, what the candidates' perceived strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, you mentioned earlier about Bernie Sanders defending himself as a socialist. Let's listen. Some of your detractors have called you a socialist on occasions, and you don't seem too troubled by that, and sometimes embrace it. I wondered if you could elaborate on sure. that, and it, just to show us what the comfort level you have, your definition of it, so that it doesn't concern the rest of us citizens. Well, what democratic socialism means to me is that economic rights, the right for economic security, is, should exist in the United States of America. It means to me that there's something wrong when we have millions of senior citizens today trying to get by on $11,000, $12,000 a year Social Security. It means there's something wrong when the rich get richer and almost everybody else gets poor. It means there is something wrong and government should play a role in making sure that all of our kids, regardless of their income, are able to get a higher education, which is why I'm calling for free tuition at public colleges and universities, and why we have to deal with this horrendous level of student debt that people are having. Now, what's going on in countries around the world, in Scandinavia and in Germany, the ideas that I am talking about are not radical ideas. So what democratic socialism means to me in its essence is that we cannot continue to have a government dominated by the billionaire class and a Congress that continues to work if for the interest of the people on top while ignoring working families. All right, Mrs. Smirconish, this was your, you brought this yeah. up. Did he help himself there? Did he explain himself? Socialist, people are afraid of that word. Right. Well, I think he helped himself with regard to the Democratic base. He probably helped himself insofar as he's trying to attract voters in Iowa. I don't think that sells to the nation at large unless he completes the thought and says something like, I'm for you if you're an entrepreneur. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make money in this country. I'm talking about the very wealthy having too big a piece of the pie because they've manipulated the process. But left the way that it is, I, I think it, it, it opens itself to a criticism that he's coming for everybody's wallet. I think the other thing is that he, he makes this mistake every time of trying to go overseas. Oh, look, I, in, in some Scandinavian village, they do this. and, and therefore <laughs> Americans people, don't want to be compared and, to and, you, and, right? and, and I think he misses a huge opportunity to point out that a lot of stuff we take for granted in the United States right now, like free K-12 education, that was once called the socialist program. A Medicare uh, was once called a socialist program. A lot of the things that we have in America were, were once called that. He never talks about American history and talks about the fact that even somebody like a Dr. King uh, had ideas that were once called socialists, like we could all be together and hold hands. So, he, so I just think he, 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 he could make this sale a lot better than he does. You know, he was supposed to give a speech during this campaign, and he hasn't done it yet, on he, democratic socialism. He, but he went and, to Georgetown, and he, I think that was it. And he did lay out of, his vision. He laid out right. his vision, yes. Of what democratic he, socialism would mean in this modern-day capitalism. But what, he di but, but what he didn't include was the fact that your taxes, if you are among 
-hmm. the wealthy in this country would be raised to a 40 to 50 percent tax rate. He didn't detail how you would pay for X, Y, and Z. Marshall, that is a big thing. The only millennial at this table is this young man right here. And when I, when millennials say to me, "Oh, I like Bernie Sanders," that's great. So. How, how is he going to pay for this? How do you pay for well, this? Think, and they look and they go, you guys are going to pay well, for that's it. that's one of the Before real you fears. respond, though, let's listen. He, he, was, he was asked about it, and then we'll talk about it, Bakari. Let's listen. There has been a massive redistribution of wealth in this country. It's gone from working families, trillions of dollars, to the top one-tenth of one percent. So, yes, what this campaign is about is to say to profitable corporations, who in some years don't pay a nickel in taxes, to the wealthiest people in this country who sometimes have an effective tax rate lower than truck drivers or nurses, yeah, you're all going to start paying your fair share of taxes. You will hear people say that your paying for it is actually punitive. You're going to punish uh, people who make money. You're going to punish the financial district. You're going to uh, punish and wind up changing the idea of an open and free economy. We got to put what I am doing in context. And here's the context. Today in America, we have more income and wealth inequality than we have had since 1928. There has, Chris, been a massive transfer of wealth. I'm talking about trillions of dollars from the pockets of working families into the hands of the top one-tenth of one percent. That's a fact. So if you are telling me that at a time when Wall Street's recklessness, greed, and illegal behavior brought this country to its knees, that I am going to say to them that they're going to have to start paying their fair share of taxes, fine. If that's the criticism, I accept it. I demand that Wall Street start paying its fair share of taxes. Bakari? I think it's more than that, though. I mean, for the fact of the matter is, I'm a millennial. I'm 31 years old. I just got married about four or five months ago. And I'm still <laughs> trying to figure this thing out. But what I do know is every month, I have a car note, $400, $400 car note. I pay over $1,300 a month in student loan payments, like many people watching out there, trying to figure out how to balance their books. And this isn't just going to be the billionaire class on Wall Street that are going to have to share the Bernie Sanders tax burden. This is going to be middle class Americans as well. Those of us who go out and get degrees and we're going to have to, the tax burden on us is going to bump up as well. No, 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 I think that's actually yeah, not, I think that's actually not right. Me. I mean, it's actually right. not right. Thank especially, you. especially, you know, if you, if you buy his idea that basically you're going to get rid of healthcare costs from private insurance, right. Right. I actually right. think what you're going to see, it's worth remembering so, that under, I mean, we, under we Dwight Eisenhower. into the fact that we're going to eliminate all private well, that, right, that's the right. goal, right? I mean, right. Look, yeah. look, it's worth remembering the 1950s, this is a point he makes a lot, but it happens to be true, that the top marginal tax rate was much, much, much higher in the middle of the 20th century. In the 1950s, which the Republicans, you know, kind of romanticized under Dwight Eisenhower, we have accepted since Ronald Reagan right. a notion of what our economic policy should be that is actually far, far to the right of where things were in the post-war period. Bernie Sanders wants to shift that back. Now, practically, he may not be able to do it, but radical is it depends on what your baseline but, I mean, is. The baseline is Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower. In fact, it's not that radical. Yes, yes. But how, how, are you convince, how, do, you, you, how do you convince I mean, people who are already paying 40%, almost 40% taxes? And then how do you convince a middle-class America, most Americans, that they're going to have to pay more taxes? Well, who runs on, on Americans wouldn't pay more taxes. American people still care about the national deficit. Yeah. At a time when they're still worried about that, we're still... We still Correct. have a huge burden in terms of our foreign policy and wars and so forth. 
So I think Bernie Sanders has tried to answer how he would come up, pay for all of these programs. Yeah. But I think he's following. I'm having a quick last question. word on this, I and then I'm going to move on. The greater question is trying to convince Americans that they ought to have more faith in government to be the solution yeah. to all of their problems I at a time when trust in government is at an all-time low, and Bernie Sanders I think, I think, is saying more government. I'll let, I'll let you sneak in, but I, hurry up. Go look, ahead. Look. Look, there's a lot of people out there that agree with what he says because they think the insurance companies are ripping them off. And why do you need insurance? You don't need insurance companies. You just need to be able to see a doctor. And also, he does talk about charging Wall Street for, for speculation. You, these guys right. are gambling with trillions of dollars. Wow. Uh, a, a little bit of tax there to give you a chance to go to college, I think people think that's a good a good. Okay, a good so that's his bargain. issue, the, the whole socialist thing and raising taxes. That may be a strength or weakness, however, however you uh, see it. This is Hillary Clinton's weakness. You guys know, honesty. The honesty question. She got it tonight. Here it is. I've heard from quite a few uh, people my age that they think you're dishonest. Um, mm -hmm. But I'd like to hear from you on why you feel the uh, enthusiasm isn't there. Well, I think it really depends upon who you're seeing and talking to. You know, today in Oskaloosa, I spent time with about 10 high school students who are enthusiastically working for me. I see young people across the state who are doing the same. Uh, but I'm, I'm totally uh, happy to see young people involved in any way. That's what we want. And we want to have a good primary to pick a nominee, and then we want to have everybody join together to make sure we win in November, which, after all, is the purpose of this whole campaign. And so, you know, look, I've been around a long time. People have thrown all kinds of things at me. And, you know, I can't keep up with it. I just keep going forward. They fall by the wayside. They come up with these outlandish things. They make these charges. I just keep going forward because there's nothing to it. They throw all this stuff at me, and I'm still standing. But if you're new to politics, if it's the first time you've really paid attention, you go, oh, my gosh, look at all of this. And you have to say to yourself, why are they throwing all of that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I've been on the front lines of change and progress since I was your age. I have been fighting to give kids and women and the and the people who are left out and left behind a chance to make the most out of their own lives. And I've taken on the status quo time and time again. So I think, uh, Michael, that was her first question, I, I believe. It was, absolutely. And I thought, but I, I actually thought watching it objectively, it was her best moment. The, it was, and I would categorize that as the woman in the arena speech. Yeah. Her essentially saying that this comes with the territory. If you're out there on the front lines, as I have been for all these years, you're going to incur this sort of criticism, and it's all preposterous. But as I watched her say that, I couldn't help but think of Michael Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. And that may seem like a non sequitur, but I think that the reason that Bloomberg is taking a look at getting into this race is that he's wondering whether she's got some liability relative to the email issue. Mm. But well, I think that the, I, I thought that what made it a strong answer was she wasn't trying to be pretending to be something she's not. She wasn't saying, I'm the fresh, fresh face. She was saying, yeah, people have thrown a lot of stuff at me, but you know what? I'm tough. I can take it. And then her answer at the end, why do they do it? 
They do it because they fear me, because, in fact, I'm going to bring progressive change. That's an answer that Democrats like Did to you hear. believe her? You know Did what? you believe she's her? Said, yeah, I, I believe that that's what she really believes. Do I yeah. believe that's a big part of the reason people have gone after her for so long? Yeah, I think, and I also think, frankly, it has a lot to do with the fact that she's, been, she's a woman. If yeah. you look at what happened to her in the 1990s, a lot of that was because she was a figure of cultural change that a lot of people had a lot of trouble with. You know, right. you could see her trying to get there, though, yeah. Yeah. because yeah, at the first part of the question, she said, oh, yeah. I'm just totally happy that young people are involved right. and that wasn't a really great right. answer it was very weak but then you could see her yeah. mind right. working and she finally got to the she point she felt the of, room and then she right, she finally she, got to the yeah. point well you know why people go after me because i've been on the front lines right. and that was the good part of the answer but it took her a while yeah because in the south carolina debate she didn't know how to answer she that question answer. Right. she couldn't get, she yeah. couldn't get exactly. there uh, exactly but she got there tonight and i thought that was three snaps you know for those of us uh, who yeah. understand what a three snap <laughs> and a circle <laughs> and a z formation teach michael over there <laughs> it's called a living color <laughs> it's from the 80s no but yeah. I also but i thought was um some people like it others don't when she talks about being a woman and she talked about dancing uh, about President Obama complimenting her and saying you know uh, Ginger Rogers had to do everything Fred Astaire did but mm -hmm. in heels and right. backwards and I thought that that worked for her even though people don't that always. was a very very yeah. difficult question that young man asked to Tough. the former Secretary of State of the United yeah. States yeah. of America about honesty to her face and yeah. said yeah. many young people believe you're dishonest oh, right. and I think that she was taken aback first of all that that was the first question she got in the Democratic Forum and then she found that cadence. Everyone knows when you're a public yeah. speaker, when you're a politician, you have to find that rhythm. You have to find that cadence. And then she said, I'm still standing. Yeah. You're going to see that phrase right. on everything. Well, stick around, everyone. When we come right back I'm here, we're going to continue on and, and discuss all of this. The best moments from tonight's town hall. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everyone. The Democrats making their closing arguments to Iowa's voters tonight. Now let's get CNN's uh, Jim Shudo. He's a reality check on what the candidates uh, had to say. Uh, you had a lot to work with, Jim. We did, and we had our best team in the business on this tonight, Don, as you know, reality check. Let's start with Bernie Sanders. This has been one of the big issues in the campaign, universal health care. Bernie Sanders drawing a distinction with Hillary Clinton on this, him supporting, he says, a much broader plan. So let's listen to a claim he made tonight on why he is doing that. The United States listen. today is the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all people as a right. Only country on earth doesn't guarantee health care as a right. We went to our fact checkers. In fact, the World Health Organization is taking a look at this. The USA, currently the only high income country, industrialized nation that does not have nearly universal health care coverage. Our reality check team rates that claim as true. Let's go on to Hillary Clinton. Another key issue here, of course, has been wealth disparity. Hillary Clinton in making her case for president, going back to the Clinton years and making this claim about wealth growth during that decade. At the end of eight years, we not only had 23 million new jobs, what was most important is incomes grew for everybody, not just those at the top. More people were lifted out of poverty, incomes rose in the middle and working people. And today in Knoxville, in my town hall, I called on a man and he said, we never had it so good. We never had it so good that the crux, crux of the Clinton argument, America's prospered under President Bill Clinton. Reality Check Team takes a look there. 
they rate it as true, looking at the numbers, particularly on spreading that income growth around during the economic growth of the 1990s. Let's go to Martin O'Malley. This is a big issue, violent crime, but specific to Baltimore and Maryland. Don, you know this. You've been covering this. We've been covering this in the last year, the violence there, uh, the crime and the, res the resulting protests. Here's a claim he made. By the end tonight. of my time as governor, we had driven down violent crime to a 30-year low, and we had also driven down our incarceration rate to a 20-year low. You can do both of them at the same time by doing the things that work. So we looked at both of those figures close that drove down both violent crime, 30-year low, but also that incarceration rate. Here's what our reality check team found. Violent crime down, significant amount per 100,000 inhabitants. Incarceration rate down, not quite as significantly, but our team still rating that claim as true. This is a final one, Don. Couldn't let this one go by because there was a moment in the debate when Bernie Sanders makes claim of being a great athlete. Basketball Bernie, here's what he said, our, said to our Chris Cuomo. I was a very good athlete. I wouldn't say I was a great athlete. I was a pretty good basketball player. My elementary school in Brooklyn won the borough championship. But <laughs> You don't get more outlandish claims than that, but we, as we said, we got the best team. I'm a New Yorker. I used to play at elementary school basketball. We had to check this one out. Did his school win the Brooklyn Brooklyn Borough Championship in basketball, his school, I'll remind you, PS 197 in Brooklyn. Fact-checking team took a look. They did indeed win. Oof. Don, that reality check claim Oof. is true. You could take it to the bank. Wow. That would be the one that everyone would be ticked off about if it, if it wasn't true. You could text me. Nice job, Jim Shuto. Thank you very much. I'm glad. And did your team win? My team did not win, so oh. I'm standing in awe just as much as Chris Cuomo of the great Bernie Sanders. He was also a good miler. He had a 437 mile. Not, oh, wow. not bad. Whoa. Oh, wow. So, and that's true, too, as well. All right. Thank you, Jim Shuto. So back with, uh, with everyone here tonight. We have the whole team with us here. I want to ask you, this is something. Um, this is Hillary Clinton. You were speaking to Joe Biden, and he talked about Hillary Clinton's record on income inequality and so on and so forth. And he had a very interesting answer to you. Tell me about that moment. He said, uh, he, he said that basically that Hillary Clinton was, hadn't spent her entire career on that issue. And Bernie Sanders seemed authentic on that issue because he had put an awful lot of time into it. Yeah. So it was kind of a backhanded criticism Let's of listen. Hillary you Clinton. I was in that fight during my husband's administration. And let's remember what happened there. At the end of eight years, we not only had 23 million new jobs, what was most important is incomes grew for everybody, not just those at the top. More people were lifted out of poverty, incomes rose in the middle and working people. And today in Knoxville, in my town hall, I called on a man and he said, we never had it so good except when your husband was president, because we tackled income inequality and produced results. Not talk, action. And that's what I will do as president. Well, obviously, that was from tonight, not during your interview. But yes. she did take, she, that was a pretty good answer for, right. for the question. Because the question was that the vice president had said you're a relative newcomer to this. And her point was, no, I've been fighting this fight alongside former President Bill Clinton, reminding everybody of the great economy in the 90s under Bill Clinton. And then she said, you know, not talk, just action. And that's her whole point about Bernie Sanders. Yeah. He can talk the talk, but she's walked the walk. Before you respond, I want to ask you this, because we keep mentioning Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, um, he... He speaks the language of the middle class, even though he's a multimillionaire now. Well, now he is. So in her answer, 
and and what she's doing on the campaign trail, how is she doing comparatively? Well, look, that the Hillary Clinton you saw tonight is the Hillary Clinton that we know. She's yeah. she's that way. She's passionate. She's engaged. Yeah, she really gets dynamic. worked up. She's dynamic. When you meet her one on one, when you talk to her in any small setting, she's amazing. She finally got that across tonight, which I thought yeah. was great. I think, and you, usually she doesn't do as well on that. But she did something else I thought was very clever on this question of inequality. Uh, Bernie's been hitting her on income inequality, income inequality. She broadened it out. She said, what about gender inequality? What about racial inequality? Yeah. And she, she was very subtly undermining him by making the inequality argument, not just a class argument, but a bigger argument. I thought that was, a, that was and, very, and, very clever. For the base, that was clever. And, and it was very shrewd as well, because mm -hmm. one thing Hillary Clinton knows is her limitations. Yeah. And I think we all agree that the yeah. income inequality checkbox goes to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Every time. You're right. not going to out-income inequality <laughs> him. You just right. you will but not do it. My question right. is, is, is she right? It, it wasn't maybe... It wasn't called income inequality at, at the time, Michael, but working on, you know, balancing the budget and doing all those things. Did well, that I don't help think that the, I don't think that the gap, I don't think that the data suggests that the gap then on Bill Clinton's watch, her watch as, as first as lady, as was, as yeah, it's grown right. exponentially in, in the last decade plus. So uh, Bernie clearly was the first one to the party on this issue. And I think the issue has caught up with him more so than her missing it in the first go round. There's, there's right. I think there's actually a difference mm. here. I don't think Hillary Clinton is actually so concerned about income inequality per se. Income inequality also grew under Bill Clinton, but people didn't mind so much because people at the bottom were still doing better. I think philosophically she's in a somewhat different place and she could have made that clear, I think. I don't think her concern is the gap between the rich and everyone else. Her concern is, is everybody better off than they were before? Right, everybody, stand under Bill by, Clinton. stand okay. by. We, we'll get to it after break. We come right back much, much more from the Senate Democratic Town Hall. Uh, the can't miss moments. We'll be right back. So you heard the Democrats going head to head in tonight's town hall. Back with me, Peter Beinart, Van Jones, Gloria Borger, Michael Smirkanish, Donna Brazil, and Bakari Sellers. Good to have all of you. You know the issue that continues to dog at least one candidate and that still haunts them, them among the voters. And that's the issue of the Iraq war. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton was pressed on it. Bernie Sanders was asked about it. Here they are. The truth is that the most significant vote and issue regarding foreign policy that we have seen in this country in modern history was the vote on the war in Iraq. Okay, that's the fact. I voted against the war in Iraq. And if you go to my website, Listen to the speech that I gave when I was in the House in 2002, saying, yeah, it's easy to get rid of a dictator like Saddam Hussein, but there's going to be a political vacuum. There will be instability. And it gives me no pleasure to tell you that much of what I feared, in fact, happened. Hillary Clinton voted for the war in Iraq. I have a much longer history than one vote, which I've said was a mistake because of the way that that was done and how the Bush administration handled it. But I think the American public has seen me uh, exercising judgment in a lot of other ways. And in fact, when that hard primary campaign was over and I went to work for President Obama and he ended up asking me to be Secretary of State, it was because he trusted my judgment. And we worked side by side over those four years. So, Peter, does he win on this issue? Does this issue even matter among Democratic voters anymore? He could have made it matter, but I don't think he, he did. What Barack Obama did effectively back in 2008 was he tied her Iraq war vote to her current views. 
he made it relevant. He said she's going down the same path on Iran that she was going down on Iraq. What Bernie Sanders didn't do was connect to Hillary Clinton's policies today. But she's actually more hawkish than where most Democratic base voters. He didn't say, and she wants a no-fly uh, zone in Syria, which could lead us down that path. Or he should have gone after this line that she went after on the last debate, where he said he wants to move to normalization with Iran. He said, he said yes, I do, because I don't want a Cold War with Iran, because a Cold War with Iran is producing instability throughout the region. He doesn't have the confidence to actually take that issue and make it relevant and kind of make it hurt for her. The way that it came up, as I recall, is that that commercial, which is, I think, quite compelling, which displays her vast experience, was shown and Bernie Sanders had to respond to it. Right. And I thought he had a pretty decent line when he said we need to differentiate between experience and judgment. And, judgment. and then right. he said Dick Cheney right. had a lot of experience. And I thought that would have drawn more of a reaction from the crowd. It really didn't. To Peter's point, I maintain that if she were on the Republican stage, she'd fit right in relative to foreign policy with her hawkishness. And I'm kind of surprised that Bernie Sanders, and maybe this is the point that you're making, hasn't turned that against her with a Democratic base. Well, my question was, uh, did, I said to uh, Democratic voters, to voters that maybe she hasn't quite won over yet, maybe some independent <clears throat> voters, did she, did she, I, do they care about this issue? Look, I, I think that they people, do. I, I think that for the people who don't like Hillary Clinton in the Democratic Party, it matters. this matters a lot. Right. And I agree that he, he could use it to more effect than he, than he has, but it does matter a lot because it goes to this sense that Hillary Clinton um, is hawkish, that she, that she uh, is going to try to be so tough that she may actually do things that are dumb. And that is something I think that Democrats are very afraid of. There's still a bunch of heartburn in this party. You had people like Bernie Sanders and others who were screaming, saying, don't go to and war. And, 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 and Barack Obama, who got smacked down by people like Hillary Clinton. And that still matters. But we're she, tonight. She, she was more of a diplomat tonight. She wasn't the exactly. interventionist, hawk, hawkish right. Hillary Clinton that we saw on the stage back in 2008 when I think she tried to prove just what kind of commander in chief she would be at. I mean, after all, the war was still a big issue. This was a Hillary Clinton tonight who talked about uh, uh, diplomacy and That's how the, that should be right. the first step. But she but did you know talk that, about her experience, what? and she talked about her experience a lot as Secretary of State and how she is ready to do whatever, you know, ready to be the, do whatever it takes to be the president and yeah. whatever that job will bring. Here it is. Listen to this. You know, you don't get to pick the issues you work on when you're president. A lot of them come at you. They come in the door whether you open it or not. And he even gave the example of working on his State of the Union, being at the desk in the Oval Office when one of his aides came in and said, the Iranians have just captured two of our naval vessels and have taken our sailors prisoner. You can't say, oh, okay, uh, don't bother me now. I'll deal with that later. You've got to immediately be able to switch gears. You've got to do all aspects of the job. So let me tell you how I think about it. I think it's imperative you do your very best, every president, and certainly I will, to avoid military action, it should be the last resort, not the first choice. To use diplomacy, even if it's slow, boring, hard, to continue to persist and be patient to get results. Gloria, I know you want to weigh in on this, but Van, <laughs> oh, but Van Jones, <laughs> she wants, I don't know, let her do it. Van, yeah. I saw a smile and then a frown. I was yeah. watching your face, you were like, oh, uh, what were you well, thinking? No, it's just... It's just She's good. Oh, I mean, it's like, no, I mean, no, it's like, that is I mean, not who you painted her as. That's not what you all characterized it, her as a moment ago. Well, here, here's, here's the deal. That does go to this question of, of inauthenticity. But listen, tonight you saw the Hillary Clinton that is prepared to be commander in chief. She's okay. very, very good. And well, I think when, but, she, when she says stuff like that, it's reassuring Democrats who don't like her. But here's the thing. It wasn't Hillary the hawk. 
tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama made me his secretary right. of state, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And Barack Obama, who, by the way, opposed the war in Iraq, right. made me his secretary of state. Have I said that enough? <laughs> Three times. <laughs> All evening long, it was Hillary Clinton, yeah. comma, friend, yeah. colleague, Secretary of State but, but, of President Barack but, but, Obama. But, 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 that is Barack Obama. There's a reason that Hillary Clinton was so much more comfortable, and mm. it's this. Democrats don't ask questions about terrorism. You notice what a dramatic right. difference it was right. in that room from the other debates. Exactly. ISIS almost never came right. up. The priorities of the two different parties are dramatically different. So the foreign policy questions were much more geared towards answers about diplomacy. Where it's tougher for a Democrat is when you get a lot of questions which are basically on the country's terrified, what are you going to do about it? That's where Democrats right. find it more difficult. But I, I also think that Hillary Clinton can stand on the stage in terms of foreign policy and answering that question of, should I worry um, with any Republican that you put her up against? I think she displayed that tonight. But even more importantly, getting back to this tie, I really think that that's a central theme in this Democratic primary. I mean, even Barack, Barack Obama in his interview today, he kind of hinted at it. But Hillary Clinton says it over and over and over again. Eric Holder has said it on her behalf that this race is about building on and protecting the legacy of Barack Obama. That is what she's running on in this Democratic Is primary. that a third Obama? <laughs> well, it, it is, you know, for Republicans, it'll be a third Obama term. Look, I think President Obama knows that in order to preserve his legacy, he's got to get Hillary Clinton elected. But it includes, it but it includes diplomacy. Right. It definitely is. I think Bakari's making, making an important point. She is, she's making a bet. She's saying, I'm going to be... Uh, Hillary Rodham Obama. Okay, I'm yeah. going to stand Clinton with this guy. And Bernie Sanders is not doing that at all. And and, and that does create some heartburn, no, for, especially running. for black voters. Exactly. It right. creates some heartburn. And, 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 and Van just and I'm sorry to, to monopolize this, but Van just hit on the point because once you leave, oh whatever. Once you leave Iowa and you leave New Hampshire. Yeah. People in the South, when we get to these other primaries, we want to build on and protect the legacy of Barack Obama. So she's hitting those notes. Yeah. And I think that's going to carry her a little bit further. Right. Stand by, everyone. Stand by, everyone, because it's the top of the hour. And I have to tell everyone what we're doing here. You just heard Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, Martin O'Malley, just a short time ago, make their closing arguments at CNN's town hall in Des Moines. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Don Lemon. It's midnight here on the East Coast. And we are just one week away from the first votes in the nation at the Iowa caucuses. Uh, can Hillary Clinton... Energize her campaign. Will Bernie Sanders, his improbable rise, take him to the top? And who's the best candidate to go against the GOP? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.